Thank you, ladies. What a beautiful way to start our season. You can go ahead and be seated if you're here in the house. And if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor uh, here at Crossroads Church. And to everyone, I guess, Merry Christmas. You know, yeah, we can be excited about it. Thanksgiving's behind us. Break out the trees. Get the house decorated, right? Start singing the Christmas carols because Christmas is here. In fact, uh, next week is the beginning of what we call Advent. And Advent is the special season in the liturgical church calendar that is all about really looking at with anticipation as we wrap down the year what is to come. That's actually what Advent means. The word Advent means to come. And it's the season where we celebrate and really where we're kind of shaken awake to the reality that we have a God who has come, a God who is continuing to come, and a God who will come in great glory in the future to set everything right. On top of that, this, series, or this uh, season really is a time uh, for people and serves for many people as a preparation as the, as the, for the celebration of Christmas. And it's a chance for most all of us to kind of regain some spiritual uh, sanity, uh, to create some fresh and healthy rhythms, certainly as individuals and families, but also as a church. And so today, what we're going to spend a majority of our time doing is actually preparing our hearts for Advent. And as we do that, I'm going to make a little bit of an odd request of you. And that odd request is, is as we prepare our hearts for Advent, I'm going to invite you to linger with me for a bit in the darkness. See, one of the regular spiritual rhythms that I have in my life is twice a year on Lent and before Advent, uh, I go away for a one-day prayer retreat that's done by the Abbey, which is in partnership with Denver Seminary. And um, what I find is, uh, is that the day of silence and solitude, a day that's bathed in prayer, and if anybody knows me, I'm not a quiet guy at all, but I find that myself being, being bathed in a day of prayer, silence, and solitude actually does wonders for my soul. It refreshes me, and really it helps prepare my mind to lead uh, this congregation, this church, through this special, special season. Well, a few years ago, when I was at this retreat, uh, it typically begins with a morning reflection, and the leader that was leading that morning reflection um, said something that caught me a little bit off guard. It, it kind of actually shocked me a little bit when he opened the day of prayer about Advent, and he said this, that Advent begins in the dark. Advent always begins in the dark. It caught my attention because of how odd it felt. And, and maybe for you, as you read these words, as you listen to these words, it feels a little bit odd to you because this whole season is about light, isn't it? It's about lights on trees and candles in windows. I mean, it was Clark W. Griswold who to told us and taught us the significance of exterior illumination. That all of, all of Denver will pay attention this Friday as we celebrate the parade of lights bringing in the season. And really over the next six weeks, everything that we do, everywhere we go, will be covered in millions of millions of twinkling lights. And for those of us who are believers, those twinkling lights are more, they're more than just simply festive. They are symbolic for us. For those of us who believe those twinkling lights represent the light of hope and peace and joy as we march week by week toward the moment where we gather to celebrate 
the light of God, the Son of God, entering into this world. It was a birth that changed everything. Anticipated by generations upon generations of people, foretold by prophets upon prophets, until the day finally arrived in that stable in that little town of Bethlehem. What could possibly be dark about this season? However, as I pondered that statement on that day in prayer, as I sat in silence and solitude, I began to realize the significance of that statement, the deep truthfulness of that reality. See, when it comes to Advent, when it comes to the Christmas season, there are many great truths that come along with it. And over the next six weeks, we're going to explore many of those great truths. But we will never truly be able to grasp the significance of the season if we first don't understand this one, that the world is a dark place, that the world is a dark place. And for most of us, we try to, re, uh, try to um, really ignore the reality of this, don't we? I mean, it's why we like just skip over Thanksgiving as if it doesn't even exist and just, you know, go right to Christmas in September. Like we're just trying to ignore the fact that this place is a really dark world. And instead, we kind of act like, you know, when we were kids, you know, and the Christmas tree came out and the anticipation of presents began to gather under the tree. And it was like, why do we have to wait? Can't we just open presents now? And as we get into adulthood, there's a little bit of that, you know, can't we just move to the joy, the peace, the hope, the celebration of Christmas Day? Historically, all was not calm and all was not bright that first Christmas. In fact, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, don't worry, we're going to put all the verses on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, um, we would love to give you one. This church is an exceedingly generous church. And one of the things that we've done, particularly during this season, is we've bought really nice Bibles so that anyone who doesn't have a Bible, we would love to gift you one this Christmas. All you need to do is when you leave today, stop by the Welcome Center, ask for a Bible, and we'll get you one. Now, traditionally, Luke chapter 1 and 2 are the Christmas verses. These are the verses that will be read time and time again with billions of people all over the world for the next six weeks as we move towards Christmas. And what they reveal to us is that the light of Jesus' first advent dawned in days of deep darkness. The priest Zechariah foretells of Jesus' birth in this way in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 78. He says this, because of the tender mercy of our God, I love that verse, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is where God's people found themselves that first Christmas sitting in the darkness of this world, sitting in the shadow of death. When it comes to the Bible, anytime that we read the word darkness, primarily it refers to evil. To say that the people were, were sitting in darkness, sitting in the shadow of death, is to say that they were dwelling in darkness, that evil was all around them, that this world is an evil place. It is a deep, dark place. See, the reality is, is that Jesus didn't come to a world ablaze with comfort and joy. 
He came to bring peace to a world at war. He came to bring true comfort to a world distressed. He came to announce good news of great joy to a people who were drowning in a sea of sorrows. I mean, just look what was happening at the time of Jesus' birth. Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing opposition, families being ripped apart, bottomless grief, oddly, all words that we could use to describe our worlds as we head into Christmas this year. See, the world is a dark place. And we feel it, don't we? The sad reality is that we feel it. And there's a longing within us for a day when there will be no more darkness, no more evil, no more sorrows, no more tribulations on this earth. And yet the problem is that as we long for that day, we often turn our eyes to humanity to fix the darkness, to bring light into the world. The world looks to experts and the mystics and scholars for the solutions. And when we do, we only find ourselves, or we find ourselves living out the words of Isaiah 8 over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 8, you have the Jewish people living in a dark, dark world, fully aware of the darkness that surrounded them. And as they lived in this darkness, they, they went to the magicians, they went to the mystics, they went to the mediums. And here's what happens, Isaiah chapter 8. After they returned, it says that they will pass through this land. That is, they will, they will pass through this world. They will live their lives on this world, in this world, greatly distressed and hungry. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness will surround them. The gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into the thick of darkness. What's going on here is that as the Jewish people are looking around them, they begin to look towards the earth, that is, toward human hands. They begin to look toward the government, the stock market, technology, human intellect, and, and innovation to fix the darkness that they experience in this world. And what Isaiah says is that they're not going to experience the healing that they long for, but actually they will be thrust deeper into darkness. In other words, when humanity is in the driver's seat, the world only becomes darker. It's why we need Christmas. Christmas comes along and it doesn't say, cheer up, if we all band together, we can make this world a better place. It doesn't agree with the people who just say try harder, nor does it agree with the people who see just a dystopian, Hunger Games-like view of the future. No, rather Christmas comes and it speaks the truth and the reality of our lives and it says that things are really, really bad. Things are really dark in this world. But nevertheless, there's hope. And it's that hope demonstrated in a dark world that makes Isaiah 64 such a powerful Advent scripture as we prepare our hearts for the season. 
See, everything that happened in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, everything that they experienced, everything that we read about happened in a time of deep turmoil. It happened in the midst of suffering and darkness. Everything is happening in deep darkness. And the prophet, the great prophet Isaiah, is speaking to the Jewish people, and he's, he's trying to proclaim the word of God to them as they are walking through this world as exiles. That they had been driven from their homes by the Babylonians, by the Syrians, by the Persians. They had been led to a land far away from their own. They had lost a land that had been promised to them by God from the early days of Abraham. And not only had they been driven from their homes, but the temple, the place that they came to worship, the one place in all the world that everything felt right, everything felt the way that it should be, the one place in all of the world where they could feel the presence of God was destroyed. Gone. Isaiah knew the deep darkness of this world. And in that darkness, he did not turn to human hands, but rather he lifted his eyes to heaven in prayer towards God. He prays in Isaiah 64, starting in verse 1, these words, O oh God, that you would rend, that is, open the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. You might notice that as Isaiah begins his prayer, he begins with the word, O. Oh. And it's a little bit difficult to convey how much emotion is built into the word O oh for us, isn't it? It's a word that we typically use when we, are, when, we are, when we are full of angst. It's a word full of longing. We almost use it as if it's a wish, don't we? That here we find Isaiah dwelling in a world full of darkness, wishing that God would come down from heaven. Oh, God. Oh God, would you open up the heavens? Would you come out of the throne room where you feel so distant? And would you come down into this world? Would you come down into the darkness? I long for that, but even more than longing, I wish that that would have already happened. Oh God. I mean, here's the great prophet of Israel pleading with, wishing that God would come right out of heaven in the darkness, in the midst of the darkness that the Jewish people find themselves in. It's a place that we've all been, isn't it? It's a prayer that we've prayed similarly in our lives when we walk through the darkness of our, of our worlds. Isaiah looks to God and says, God, would you make yourself known? Would you make yourself known to us? Would you, would you bring your presence into the darkness that we find ourselves in? Because what's overwhelmingly clear to Isaiah in this moment is that if God would just step into this world, if God would just step into the darkness, that everything would change. The obstacles would be removed. The suffering would be no more. The trials would cease. That's what that verse about the mountains is all about, where the mountains quake. That in scripture, the mountains are the largest thing in all of nature. It was the biggest thing. And what Isaiah is saying, God, if you just make your presence known, if we were just able to see your presence, it would make even the grandeur of the mountains seem small. That the obstacles would diminish. They would be insignificant. That Isaiah is crying out to God, make your presence known in the darkness, O oh God. And as, we, as he continues... 
He says, not only would that reality of your presence into this dark world change everything, but it would also begin to change people's hearts, that the, the people who are adversaries, the people who are standing against you, God, they would see you, they would, they would know you, they would see the awesome power that you, they have, that you have, that they would see your glory. That Isaiah is, is praying, oh God, would you step in? Would you step into this darkness? And as we linger in the darkness before Advent, there's a stark and important reality here for us that whatever it is that you're walking through, whatever darkness you find yourself in, whatever, whatever evil is before you, for some of you that even means as you sit in the shadow of death this holiday season, that whatever darkness that you are navigating through, the only solution is that God would show up. That Isaiah is crying out in this moment, make yourself known. Not because it is the morally right thing to do. Not simply because it's the right thing to say. Not because he's obligated to say that. But he's pleading with God, wishing God would make himself known because it's the only thing that will relieve the darkness that they find themselves in. Only God will suffice. And if you're anything like me, so often when my mind turns to this, turns to God, it's not as, it's not as a first response, but rather as a last resort. That so often my tendency, so often my inclination, even as a pastor, in times of trial, in terms, times of struggle, as I walk through the darkness of this world in my own life, so often I find myself leaning on my own abilities, my own mind, my own creativity. I try to power up, handle it my way, try to manipulate the world in ways that that have already decided needed to occur. And finally, when I'm exhausted, finally, when I, when I come to my end, finally, when I wake up and realize that this isn't working, then, and typically only then, do I find myself turning to God. That far too often, as I navigate the darkness of this world, that God is not my first response, but rather my last resort that far too often I find myself thinking this way. See, one of the reasons that I believe that we forfeit so much divine engagement in our lives is because we just rule it out from the very beginning. We just discount it from the start. We go after our, our own plans on how to fix the darkness that we're experiencing in our lives. And it never occurs to us just to get down onto our knees and onto our face and just to spend some time in the presence of God. And listen, I know that as we navigate this world, the decisions that we have to make, as we struggle through the darkness of this world, we don't always have time to go away on a one-day or three-day or one-week prayer retreats to just hang in the presence of God. 
That some days you're at work and you're walking into a meeting and you don't know what to do. You don't know what the right thing is to do. You don't know what the right thing is to say. You don't know the right decision to make. But the very least that we could do in those moments is as we walk through the threshold of that door is to pray to God, God, in five minutes this meeting starts and I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know the decisions that I need to make, but I know that I need you. God, would you help me? See, when we find ourselves in the darkness, Far too often we see God as our last resorts. And here as Isaiah sits in the darkness of his world, he reminds us that God is not a last resort, but rather our first response to which we have to ask the question, why? Why does Isaiah believe this? Well, he answers this in his prayer in verse 3 when he says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, that you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. In other words, God, we've seen you work in the past. God, we've seen you show up in ways that surprised us and moved us into awe. And because of the way that you've worked in the past, it gives us faith that you'll do it again in the future. That as we move into the future, that we, that we see that you're trustworthy. See, the people of Israel, for all the things that they did wrong in the Old Testament, and they did a whole bunch of things wrong, the one thing that they got right was habitually, continually, they would remember the faithful and amazing, awesome acts of God. That when they gathered together for worship and they began to, to sing songs, that their songs that they would sing would not just be simply songs about who God was and is and, and showed himself to be. That was really important for them. But they would also, they would also declare in their songs the mighty works of God. So for example, when we open up the Psalms, that's the worship book of the Jewish people. Those are the songs that ancient Israel would sing in worship. Not only would we see who God is and, and who he described himself to be, but oftentimes we would see that this is the God who, who delivered the people from Egypt, who delivered them through the sea, who conquered their enemies that there's this constant and continual recounting of the faithful acts of God. The way that he showed up on the scene, the way that he surprised them, the way that he displayed his glory, the awesomeness of his power. And so as Isaiah continues his prayer, it's almost as if he's saying, God, we've seen you do it. This isn't without precedence here, that you have done it before and over and over and over again. You've shown yourself to be powerful. Would you do it again? that the darkness is surrounding us, that everywhere we look, we just see evil. There's suffering everywhere. Would you do it again? Would you make your presence known? This is a side note. This is why practicing gratefulness is so important. To remember what God has, the way that God has acted in our lives. To reflect on what he's done that when we pause for moments of gratitude, when we pause to be thankful, it helps us remember that in our past, when times were dark, when maybe our tendency would be to rise up and, and to handle the darkness on our own, that God showed up, that God survived, surprised, that God intervened. I mean, this is, this is so, we can see this over and over again in the lives, in our lives. Over this course of the last month, I've been able to spend a lot of time with Mike Berger here at Crossroads Church. Mike Berger is one of our security guys, really awesome guy. 
In fact, over the last month, um, uh, Westminster Fire came to him and asked, because of the way that he lives his life, if he would be a volunteer chaplain for them. Shortly thereafter, Westminster Police said, hey, would you do it for us? Shortly thereafter, the state of Colorado said, hey, we need help too. I'm so proud of the guy and the way that he lives his life. But if you know Mike Berger's story, six years ago, in a three-week period, Mike lost his dad, his mom, and his brother, all in different instances. Within the year of all three of those things happening, he lost his business and his marriage. And it was at 2 a.m. that he was out on his lawn, begging, pleading, wishing for God to make his presence known. Praying, God, if you don't show up, if, you don't, if, you, if I don't see you as real, I don't know how I can live this life going forward. And if you sit down and listen to Mike's story, he'll tell you that God showed up in a miraculous way. Eventually he found himself way, his way to Crossroads Church, gave his life to Jesus, and now is living his life for Jesus. See, when we remember who God has proven himself to be and what he has done, it gives us the confidence to move forward into the future in faith, believing that what he did, that God can do it again. Verse 4. From of old... No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. This is such an astonishing verse for me. The 700 years before the first light dawned on that first Christmas in the person of Jesus that Isaiah believed that Isaiah had conviction to his toes, that in the darkness of this world, that God was at work on those who wait on him. See, there's this very real sense that for you and me, that we are a people who live in the in-between. We live in the in-between. That the light of the world has come in Jesus, and one day, we will experience the absence of darkness as Jesus comes again in his second coming. That on that day, all will be made right. We long for that day. But right now, we live in the in-between. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we are called children of light. That that is our reality of the here and now. That we are, we are children of light. But we walk through, struggle in, experience a world that is filled with darkness, don't we? And as all of us longing, as all of us expectantly wait for the day when all will be set right, that is our hope, that is our grand hope. The reality is what do we do now? The question is, is how do we live our life now as we linger in the darkness of this world? When you find yourself in deep struggle, when you find yourself to the point of despair, when it's hard to see the hope that is promised to us on the horizon, how do you respond? Where does your heart go when you wrestle in the darkness of this world? Well, Isaiah tells us that in times of darkness, the faithful wait on God. The faithful 
wait on God. To which we go, wait? I mean, none of us like to wait. I mean, we all get frustrated when the person in front of us has 16 items when the sign clearly says that this is an express line for 15. Right? I mean, we live in a multitasking culture. Jeff Bezos has become a billionaire on the presumption of our impatience. Wait? None of us want to wait. And yet Isaiah says that that is the thing that we are to do as we live in the in-between. That the faithful, the children of light, they wait on God. In Exodus chapter 14, we have the Jewish people fleeing captivity. And as they're fleeing captivity, they're being chased, hunted down by the superpower of Egypt, intent on capturing them and, and honestly killing them, that they are very literally standing in the shadow of death. And as the struggle begins to overwhelm them, as the despair is apparent, as hope begins to fade in the distance, Moses looks at them in verse 13 and says this to them. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, <laughs> you shall never see again. The verse goes on and says, don't you know that the Lord is fighting for you? And all you have to do is be silent. In other words, be quiet, be still, and wait on the Lord. As we prepare our hearts for Advent, I don't want to stand up here and tell you what it means to wait on the Lord. I would rather help you experience it by teaching you an ancient faith practice that has been used for centuries by children of lights, by people who have put their faith in Jesus. It's a type of prayer that you can use throughout the Advent season to help you as you become very much aware of the deep darkness of this world. And so I'm going to invite, if you're comfortable, for you to go ahead and bow your head and to close your eyes. And in the silence of the moment, just take a deep breath in. Hold it and breathe out. Do it again. Breathe in. Hold it. Breathe out. As we come to God in prayer, in this silence, think over this last week. And what are the times that you were challenged? Where were the times in the darkness of this world that you experienced challenging circumstances? What were the times where your soul was troubled? 
in the last week? When was a smile brought to your face? When were the times that you were thankful? In all of those things, where did you experience the presence of God? Where did he show up? surprise you, make his presence known to you. This is what it looks like to wait on the presence of God. As we continue in a moment of reflection, the ladies are gonna sing a song over us. The world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope.
waits for a miracle. A heart longs for a little bit of hope. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. In a season where we celebrate the God who has come into this world, and the hope that we have that one day he will return to this world, we realize that in the darkness of our presence that God continues to come to us. See, the message of Christianity is things are bad. They're really bad. There's nothing that you can do to bring healing. There's nothing that you can do to provide salvation on your own that this world is a dark place, but nevertheless, there is hope. Because by the tender mercy of God, that the light has entered into the world so that we might walk in peace. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know what it's like to experience the kind of hope and peace and joy that we speak of during this season. We'd love to have a conversation with you. You can bring your concerns, your questions. You can bring them and we'll do our best to try to answer them. The way to go about doing that is to simply text the name of Jesus to our text line 720-513-1933 and that's where we'll meet you. Today as a body, we come together remembering the significance of God coming into this world, where Jesus lived his life going to the cross where his body was broken. And in the brokenness of his body, the forgiveness of sins came to us so that we are a people who could walk in hope. And so today we remember and we celebrate. And that through the blood of a God who loved us so much that he shed it for us so that we might have life, we drink and we remember. If you need prayer over the next 15 or so minutes, We'd love to join you in that. In-house, you can make your way to the banner that says prayer. Online, you can click the button. As we continue in our worship, I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing together.